0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Peter Acknell, who's the MD of Carrington Day, who are a consulting company that assists international companies doing business in China uh, and Chinese companies uh, that are going abroad. Um, Peter's a prominent member of the mining sector in China, uh, being the chairman of the Global Mining Association of China, which is GMAC. Um, the international mining community's peak representative body and founding chairman of the Oriental Mining Club. Um, Peter's also the member of the mining uh, sorry, Melbourne Mining Club, International Advisory Board. Um so today he's gonna come on to the, the podcast and we're gonna discuss the, the Chinese uh, mining industry, um, probably talk a little bit about their co- economy and a lot more around China. Um, Obviously, we probably only see a certain narrative that the media put out there, but obviously Peter's on the ground in China, so may be able to give us a slightly different perspective. Um, Peter's also going to be uh, attending Europe's largest mining event, Resourcing Tomorrow, which is formerly known as the Mines of Money in London, um, which is taking place in London on the 28th to 30th of November, so in under two months' time. Um, So it's a great platform for the entire mining value chain uh, where you can foster learning, uh, listen to lively debates and provide uh, valuable network opportunities. So um, I encourage you to look in the show notes where there is a a link to go and get your ticket Um, and you can also receive a a discount, um, early bird discount if you use the code dig 10, which is all in the show notes accompanying this uh, podcast, or if you're looking on the YouTube channel, it's uh, below below. So um, I encourage you to go and get your tickets. And obviously one of the speakers is Pete uh, is Peter. So that's welcome. Peter, to the podcast. How are you doing, Peter?
1: Really good, Rob. Thank you.
0: No, thank you for your time as well. Uh, and taking the time to have a chat with us um, as obviously mentioned uh, in the introduction, you you live in live in China, um, so I just wanted you to just tell us a little bit about about your your career. Um, so the guests, uh, sorry, so the audience that listens to this podcast knows a little bit about you and your background.
1: No worries. All well, the guests as well as the audience, aren't they, Rob? We're uh, we're yeah. sharing that with them, so it's lovely to uh, lovely to to be talking to them as well as to you. Yeah, I came to China. About twenty years ago to live. I've been living here for twenty years. I came to China before that, maybe. Uh, well, it's getting close to thirty years ago when I, I first came here. Um, but I've been living here since and uh, uh, early two thousand four, so almost twenty years. And uh, it's been through a lot of changes since then. I've, I've got my my company um, is a, a headhunting company like yours that concentrates on the on the mining industry. Um, and it's quite rare. You know, there, there are no other companies quite like ours with that uh, mining sweet spot um, operating in China. So we've got a, we've got a, a nice niche within the the China mining community. And I came here because I actually met an exceptional candidate at one stage um, in the early two thousands who uh, is a Chinese-born person. I was living and working in Sydney at the time, and uh, he wanted to, to find a job back in China. He was Chinese-born but Australian citizen and had a, an exceptional background. And um, I got in touch with one of my, uh, one of my clients in, uh, in New York, in fact, and this guy had a background that I thought would be just perfect for them and, um, just on spec, I gave them a call. So, you know, I've got a guy that looks like this would, I don't know what your plans are for China. Would you be interested? And as it turned out, they had a, a plan, a $6 billion plan to, uh, to develop in China. And, uh, they had earmarked the need for a, a country head and sort of put that to one side, not knowing what they would, how they would tackle that. And, um. They asked me if i could get him up to tokyo to meet with their their president for asia um, that weekend which he did and uh, the rest was history for him and for me that um, with them having six billion dollars to spend in in this market they needed a lot of help to get established and uh, so i i follow i placed him in uh, in 2000 and then uh, about three i was flying in and out of china during that time and then eventually Corp came said, the damn wall's about to break. Can you get up here? So that was that's what brought me here. And it was you know just a lucky break for me. It was one of those things in in your life where a sliding door opened and it, it changed my life. Coming to China at that time was um, one of the best things that happened to me. You know, to be here during that remarkable period where China emerged in the world as a very serious. Uh, participant in lots of different aspects, but especially in the resources sector, Um, it was such a, you know, a moment to arrive and then to to ride that wave throughout has been, you know, the privilege that I thank, I'm thankful for, you know, uh, every day. It's, uh, and it's been, it continues to be remarkable.
0: Before we start speaking about uh, the Chinese mining industry, obviously you mentioned you've been there uh, for uh, 20 years now. Um, what's it like to live in in China? Uh, and as you mentioned, there's been a lot of change over that period of time. But you, obviously you had this opportunity, which you just described, and you moved to China. How, what's it like living there? And how has it changed since you when you first moved there to what it is uh, today?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, uh, from a personal point of view, um, it's quite incredible, really. You know, I I live in a city which has as many people living in it as my home country of Australia has—26 million people in both locations. In this case, that spread right across that continent of Australia is now in this, you know, this corner of China, and I like to think. Well, I don't like to think, but I, I do often ponder that 26 million people is a lot of people in a city. But if for some reason Shanghai fell off the edge of of China and disappeared, those 26 million people didn't exist anymore. There'd still be 1.4 billion people living in China. It, 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 it's the size of the place that um, that staggers you. And also the diversity of the place. You know, it's not. It is China isn't this this amorphous blob. It is a, a remarkably diverse country with um, so many differences. You know, from north to south, east to west, um, so much difference. And you know, the difference that shows itself um, in the food, in the people, in the activities, the economic conditions. Everything has got so much the tapestry of the place is just remarkable. Um, and then yeah, post COVID or during COVID, I, it became apparent to me, Shanghai is um, is a remarkable city itself in that uh, unlike say Singapore, where Singapore's a crossroad in Asia, people step off from Singapore to all point, points of Asia. Shanghai is very much a destination city. It's a place where people come uh, to do something, do business, to you know, for, for meetings or whatever. And um, then during COVID, we didn't have any visitors. You know, it, it ceased that that three years we didn't have a, any activity in terms of people coming in, and we, we were like an enclave of twenty-six million people that didn't have the visitors that we'd been used to for all those all that time history before and it was really really strange yeah that that's that was a period that i found really nutty but now since since covid and it, we're still really emerging from that 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 period um it it's almost a year not quite a year yet since we since it reopened uh still got another couple of months So it's 10 months since since we've been open and it, it's only now starting to hit its straps. Now getting back, at getting the stride. But um, as a place to to live, I find it remarkable. Um, I love living here, um, and it's um, a good place to do business. You know, I think that you know the Chinese are very entrepreneurial. They love business, and uh, and it, it's a, a place which is really unlike Australia, which I. You know, I think Australia doesn't have a, a great outward-looking perspective. China is a domestic demand-driven economy in many respects, but it also reaches out to the world. It's the biggest trading partner of just about every nation in the world. And as a result, you you really have a connection with with so much parts of the world. You know, and we have international community here as well as, as the Chinese community. Very, very... Uh, all, all nations you know are represented by chambers of Commerce and other other interest groups here so it's a it's a fascinating place to live and work
0: yeah um obviously what I want to speak about now is obviously the 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 Chinese mining industry and I suppose most of us um probably think when we talk about the Chinese mining industry that a lot of companies, uh, Chinese companies are investing in assets overseas. Um, but I suppose what I wanted to get ask you is I want you even just give us uh, an overview of the mining sector within, uh, within China. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, it's something that people may not be fully aware of is that China does have a very active domestic mining industry um it's one of the largest gold producing nations in the world it has uh surprisingly for uh, maybe for my Australian country people the it's um it it's a very large iron ore producer um, of the the 1.2 1.3 billion ton of iron ore that are consumed by China steel um, uh, steel mills maybe two to three hundred million ton of that is produced in in Chinese uh, iron ore mines it has copper it has uh, um, uh obviously rare Earths uh, uh, lithium is has been been a, a significant uh mineral that's been mined here for a, a long time um, it has copper zinc yeah, it, it, even at one stage I was uh, I had a client was a Canadian Company that was doing diamond mining in China. So it, domestically, it has its own uh, uh, you know, well advanced. So of course, coal. You know, it is massive in, in coal. Um, so it, it has its own uh, domestic capability. Um, and then, if I go back, if I wind the clock back a little bit, Rob, um, when I first came here, it was an it was enormously prospective. From an exploration point of view, um, um, you mentioned that I'm the chairman of GMAC. Um, our association, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, had many, many mining companies that were uh, members of our association, and they were actively engaged in exploration in China. We had more than 400 projects operating by foreign companies, so we're all of the majors and many juniors. Some listed on AIM that were listed expressly for uh, a project that they they were developing in in China, but unfortunately, now uh, the best of my knowledge, we now only have one uh, international foreign mining company that's actually producing here in China. So all of that exploration effort didn't didn't turn into uh, into mining projects regrettably um, one by one uh, while they found the assets they uh, they for one reason or another uh, and we can discuss that um, they they withdrew and uh, we now only have the one that, that's it's a really interesting company called Griffin uh, it's a um, aim listed uh, um, zinc miner that has a Fabulous, you know, first class, world class uh, operation, uh, uh, not far from Beijing, um, where they they're mining zinc.
0: Um, obviously, you mentioned that you're the chairman of uh, uh, GMAC, um, which is the Global uh, Mining Association of China. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about what GMAC is um, and yeah. where does it fit in with the sort of bro- broader industry uh, within the country?
1: Mm. Well, uh, I guess um, the name sort of says it all. It It is an association for the international mining community that's here in China. And we, um, uh, we were once made up a lot of mining companies, but now less, well, we have you know, the significant mining companies that are here and who are doing marketing here rather than, or they've got uh, sourcing offices and so on. They're not actually doing physical mining activity, um, but we, in addition to those mining companies, we have a br- very broad mining community. Be they consultants or bankers or lawyers, uh, people involved in M A, or there are uh, equipment manufacturers and you know the likes of you know Sandvik and and those sort of companies. Um, and so it's a very broad based mining community now. Uh, we meet each month, usually in Beijing, and it's a way of getting the community together. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty we're a pretty small community in a very very big country, um, and we bring together our our, uh, our community once a month. We we have a guest speaker who provides us with primary data, you know, be it uh, uh, AI applications in uh, in mining or it may be uh, it may be about um, uh, pricing trends in uh, in in a, in a particular commodity, or it may be legal issues, or it may be uh, we have the ambassadors of many of the different mining jurisdictions around the world talking to us about um, about their mining activity and, and the prospectiveness of those places for Chinese and international miners to come. So that's our that's our core activity once a month, but on, on top of that, we're also involved in. In uh, providing uh, training, uh, we do uh, Jork Code training in Chinese for uh, for Chinese companies that are interested in investing internationally. We um, we we represent uh, the international mining community to the um, uh, the Chinese government. Uh, we have very strong relationships with the uh, China Mining Association, which is part of the Natural Resources Department. We, uh, uh, we engage in 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 dialogue with um, with different countries you know the the different embassies and so on to help uh, help them with uh, um, understanding what the what the landscape looks like here in China and we, we from time to time we present we prepare uh, white papers on on uh, the activity that's happening in China and present that to government so uh, it's it it's a um, it fulfills a, a number of different purposes, but I think the, the most beneficial thing is that we bring together the community so we, we actually learn from each other that primary data um, is really important. And people people sharing and collaborating is, is our main uh, our main strength, I think.
0: Um, why do you think there's an underlying of China's role within the, the global mining sector.
1: What do I think it is?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's a
1: very big question. I I think that uh the, the the place that China plays it China emerged in the in the industry, in the global industry at the time which Became known as the as the mining boom, uh, going back to early two thousands, when China decided that it couldn't provide for its, itself from its own domestic mining, that it needed to to get resources from abroad, and that that surge of demand that came from China created what became known as the mining boom. And I, I don't think it was really a mining boom in as much as production that was coming out of the rest of the world couldn't meet that demand and that, that caused the, you know, the great uh, increase in pricing. But China also <laughs> felt like a victim in that, uh, in that rapid increase in pricing. I remember looking at what the price of iron ore... We had a visit from an Australian Prime Minister... And I looked up what the price of iron ore was when he first came to China in 2001. And at that time, the price of a tonne of iron ore was $18, dollars eight per tonne. I looked up what the price is today. And coincidentally, it was $118. Uh, so exactly $100 more today than what it was in 2001. So China has had a... a a profound influence or impact on the on the global mining sector from the that that point of view, and that is demand. And then from demand, China China then decided that it or it felt as if it was being maybe taken advantage of. You know, Chinese steel mills thought shivers. It used to be eighteen dollars a ton when the Japanese were were buying a lot of iron ore, and now it's it's went from 18 to 45, 45 to 75, 75 to 100, 150, and so it went. You know, what's going on here? It's, this doesn't seem fair. So they they realized that they, instead of being a price taker, they needed to become a price maker and to get themselves involved in global, global mining, be it through um, investment, um, sending its own mining companies abroad um joint ventures um and so on so it it's become a i think it's become an integral part of the the global mining mining scene and it will continue to be because of the enormous demand that comes from from china
0: what do you see uh, as some of the major challenges of the the mining ind- mining industry within china um obviously you've mentioned about the various commodities that you've got within the, within the country. Um, I understand obviously, uh, gold is a, a big, a big, um, uh, China make obviously a, a lot of gold, but they, I think they also import a lot of gold as well. Um, how, what do you see as some of the major, the major challenges that face the Chinese mining industry?
1: Well, uh, you're right. The you know the, the domestic industry is 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 significant, and uh, I have listened to your earlier podcast that you did with Jake Klein, the, uh, the CEO of uh, Evolution, and uh, former uh, Jake's Jake's uh, earlier claim to fame was the establishment of Sino Gold, which was an enormously successful operation here in China with. Uh, uh, with four operating mines uh, in in China producing a lot of gold at uh, at very good price and um, and then sold that at a at a very at a premium to a Canadian miner Eldorado uh, who then in turn sold their operations to uh, to Chinese miners so it domestically and, and then of course uh, Lithium uh, in in Sichuan Province, we have uh, very significant lithium deposits in in Sichuan Province, and and so lithium has been something which has been mined, and and the, the the processing of lithium domestically in China is well advanced. You know they they have they have the IP to be able to do that very effectively, and and have you know not more than a hundred processing. Uh, lithium processing plants in China compared to say um, in uh, in Europe there wouldn't be twenty processing plants in Europe and um, in North America probably something similar in Australia only one or two um, so the bulk of uh, lithium processing is is done in China because they've been doing it for so long uh, rare earths the same Ch- China is a dominant player in rare earths and there's a lot of strategic uh, national uh, strategic, you know, concerns about, you know, China's dominance in in rare earth production, but they've been doing it. They've invested in it for so long, you know, for, for decades, they've been developing this and it's now that rare earths are becoming more important for the, for the uh, energy revolution that we're, we're witnessing. It's, um, it's, China has got such a head start. You know, they've, they've invested the dollars, they've got invested in IP, and they've also invested, regrettably, in environmental impacts. It, the processing, it's the sort of thing that, um, uh, not in my backyard, people get concerned about. And so, But China has invested in that, and so that's why it has such a, a significant, significantly strong position. And then, of course, there's coal. You know, coal... Australia exports about three or four hundred million ton of coal to China, but China itself produces something like four billion ton of coal a year in domestically. I, I've been to to some coal mines here in in China which are so massive you know that they' are 100 million ton each in production. And you know that that's enough to to supply the United Kingdom for, with with coal for two or three years, you know, it's a, it's, it's mind boggling the size of some of these things. I've I've been to to two underground coal mines in uh, in Shanxi Province where they are very close to being autonomous underground mines. You know, that they 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 most of the people that work in the coal mines there wear a, a suit and a white shirt to work rather than a, a coal miner's hat and come out. With the black face, you know, they it's it's revolutionary what they what what's being done in the domestic uh, domestic scene. But at the same time, um, there's a there's a drive to um, to do better. Um, uh, a good friend of mine, the uh, Peng Ji who is the uh, president of the Chinese Mining Association, he um, he wants to see Chinese mines being going deeper going greener being more safe and being more productive and he can't see them doing that unless they they have more cooperation with international mining companies and he he's, he's he sees the future being more uh collaboration between chinese miners and international miners bringing the strengths of both sides of the industry together to to do even better and i think we'll see that Uh, Maybe we'll get to talk about some of the things in the future, but uh, um, I think we're seeing that already. There's evidence of that starting to to shape up.
0: Yeah. Well, we we can speak about now. Obviously, we've been speaking about more of a Chinese domestic uh, market in mining. Um, What do you, I suppose, what do you think of China's role in the, uh, obviously in the international scene um, and where you've seen examples of positive cooperation between Chinese and Western mining companies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So internationally. I think we're going to continue to see China. Getting involved in um, in in international projects Um, and. The it's been interesting to watch the 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 evolution of this. In the early days, they looked at jurisdictions like Australia and Canada as very attractive um, destinations for investment and for engagement. And we saw, you know, companies like uh, Minmetals, MMG, uh, uh, getting formed by the acquisition of um, most of the Oz Minerals uh, assets in Australia. Or the company in Australia with its assets internationally, but um, they they acquired those assets and created a company which is headquartered in Melbourne. And from that company, they then have grown that that business globally with um, um, with the acquisition, say, of Las Bambas in uh, in Peru. And when they bought that those assets from uh, Oz Minerals, I remember at the time the chairman of um, of the MinMetals group that, that bought it said, um, in a, you know, said, why, why are you paying so much money? Because uh, the Australian government had, had insisted that Prominent Hill be taken out because it was on Australian defence land. And he said it's because we're we actually wanting to buy, not necessarily the assets, but the platform. They were looking, they wanted to have a, a company which was outward looking, which was international, had had international people working in it, so that they could then become a a better international player globally, uh, and I think that's been a very that's been a terrific success story. The MMG, you know, they've had their challenges in uh, in Las Bambas for sure, um, but not because they're Chinese and not because they they were headquartered in Melbourne or anywhere else. It, you know, these things are always challenging, and you know they've now got assets in uh, in the DRC in Africa and uh, and so on. So yeah that's that's one great example. Um, an example I like and I think um, is going to be a, you, know, a, a, you know not a template but certainly a great uh, great demonstration of collaboration is the way that Simandu will eventually be developed um, with Rio Tinto and Chinelco partnering and in one part and then uh Bale Steel, and, uh, and the winning uh, consortium developing the rest of it. And then both those consortiums working together to develop infrastructure and bringing the best of Rio Tinto uh, technology for developing an asset together with the, the, the grunt and the infrastructure capability of the Chinese, uh, I think it's a really fine example of how things can be done. And then there are examples in Indonesia with uh, with nickel. Uh, the Chinese are, are really when Indonesia decided that it would uh, not export raw nickel, that, that, that there had to be value add. Um, the Chinese um, have embraced that wholeheartedly, and we have we have uh, industrial parks established in um, in Indonesia with uh, with Chinese companies investing large amounts of money which has attracted other investors to come into indonesia and it's also attracted indonesian companies into these industrial parks and they're there's something to be seen you know these are you know massive massive facilities that have been built which are being very productive and they're very very positive outcome for the indonesian economy as well so i think there's a number of really good examples around but then i also mentioned um, about stuff happening in China with Griffin Mining, you know, the Griffin Mining had done a great job with their with their zinc um, asset, and they've been given uh, encouragement to to develop that even more at that site, and to look at other uh, deposits around around China. So I think you know there, it would be great. Uh, my friend, as I mentioned, Punchy Min, he he would love to see more collaboration in China, as well as uh, stuff uh, abroad. If I could just say one more thing, sorry to keep on going around and around, uh, Rob, but another terrific thing that I'm aware of that's happening is um, uh, Zijin, who is one of the biggest gold producers in the world, but also now involved in copper and has a great uh, partnership with Ivanhoe uh, in Africa. Zijin, the chairman of Zijin, is wanting to see his company become more internationally minded. have a, have a better mindset, which is international, not just Chinese. And so, the chairman is seeking to put strategically inside his company and headquarters in uh, Shaman in Fujian Province, to bring foreigners into that company and sit them in in amongst the other workers, the other executives in. Uh, in the company in China, so that when discussions are happening, strategic discussions about you know the development of a project, uh, you know uh, how the company operates in in general, there are going to be voices there which aren't just Chinese voices, but they are putting in international people expertise and executive knowledge and so on into their company here. So yeah, that's for that's forward thinking. I don't know many many international companies that think you know China is such an important place for us, we better get some more Chinese people into our, let's get some senior Chinese people into our company. I'm looking forward to the day when we see a, a Chinese person as the CEO of one of the uh, one of the, 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 uh, the majors in, uh, in the world. China has donated so much money to the international mining majors. I'd love to see more Chinese executives at the, the, the top of those companies.
0: Um, You touched earlier about the impact of uh, geopolitical tensions uh, and the impact that it had uh, or it has on uh, our industry. Um, I'm wondering what kind of uh, role business can play in balancing uh, some of those tensions.
1: Um, This is a a pet topic of mine, uh, Rob. Sitting here in China and reading international uh, media, about China, the bogeyman in uh, in in world geopolitics. Sometimes I read these newspaper reports and look out the window and wonder what the country is that they're talking about in their reports. There must be another place called China uh, than the one that I live in. Um, so it's um, it is it is quite depressing at times to read that. the The international mining community. We, There are surveys that are done here uh, regularly about business sentiment. Um, And surprisingly for your listeners, um, whether it be the Australian Chamber of Commerce, the American Chamber of Commerce, the British Chamber of Commerce, the European Chamber of Commerce, almost universally, year after year after year, the business sentiment is is positive or very positive for, for 70% or thereabouts in each of those communities. So business sees that, that doing business here in China is something which is, they, they see a, 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 a bright light ahead for the next 12 months and have for year on year on year. So it's really puzzling that we get a lot of this um, um, Political tension, and you know, it comes from another place. You know, the 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 uh, dare I say the the military-industrial complex, and the and the, the politicians, the the, strategy, the national security lobby is has a has a, its own views about where China fits into the world, and it it's not as bright a picture as what. I've just been painting for the way business sees it here, so I think there is a place for for business to be that. The, the national security lobby is a very loud lobby. It has you, you mentioned safety and 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 so on. It gets people's attention really quickly, and it, there is a legitimate place for that in the, the the discourse. But in my opinion, it's too loud and public sentiment goes to where the most noise is. And so business needs to, to also bring something to the table. It need, There is a place for politicians and for media to listen to what business is experiencing here on the ground in China, especially mining. Yeah, mining has been such a great beneficiary of Chinese demand and the majors that are here uh, be it uh, selling iron ore or copper uh, and coal into China are great corporate citizens in China. you know they they know how to operate in, in this in this market. they're very respectful they make a great contribution to the economy here and and they have they are on the ground you know, they, there is a place for listening to people on the ground rather than who are looking from afar. And uh, if you're looking at something through binoculars from a long, long way away, sometimes it can look like something else rather than what it really is when you're up close. And I'd I love to see um, a, a lot more attention politicians to ask folks who are on the ground here what do you see? how do, how do you see the world uh, from China? And how do you think China, ask the question how what does China think you know, what why what we, we look always you know at things with a with a view about what how it affects us rather than a, you know what what do, how, do, how do we affect them? And I, you know I think there's the, the voice of business is something which is is based on you know real experience and it's on the ground and I think it, it would add a lot of value to the discourse if it was engaged more.
0: Yeah. I um, it probably goes on to my next question um about the actual chinese economy um now maybe some things that i've read where it looks like you're going into maybe going to recession or if you look at the housing market where you've built these big cities um and no one's living in these big ghost towns and both skyscrapers everywhere and, and there's not no one living there, um, is that is that reality and and how do you see the chinese economy at the moment
1: yeah, um, the ghost cities is a beauty, isn't it? That's it's uh, something that people will often point to, and um, uh, very uh, uh, for uh, a lot of your uh, listeners, if they're interested in the Chinese economy, I recommend uh, an economist called Andy Rothman, who works for a, uh, an American outfit called uh, Matthews Asia. Andy is a is a terrific economist, great observer of China. Um, he's an American former american state department um and andy uh used to make the story he he used to have the uh, anecdote that he used to like going to for his christmas holidays he used to like going to a ghost city and then to return to it in 12 months time and see what was actually happening 12 months later um because it would be bustling and um, and there'd be a lot of hyperactivity so Ghost cities is a is a is a neat way of people pointing to something that really doesn't exist. I don't think. Um, but the, to your point about the Chinese economy today, certainly the property market is is is, is having uh, it, its moment at the because of you know some of the some of the issues with some of the bigger the bigger property developers. So they the, the, the there is a lot of there is some stress in that in that that sector of the economy. And that will have an impact on on the demand for uh, for steel and, and copper and so on, obviously. Um, but I think that 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 is working its way way through. I think more more concerning at the moment is um, um, is consumer demand in China at the moment. The the coming out of COVID, um, China Chinese consumers didn't get any um, any. Uh, Financial support during and, and post-COVID, um, so um, consumers have you know locked their savings away and you know concerned that things are going to be you know okay for them going forward. So there's a there's still still some consumer uh, demand, consumer sentiment needs to be um, um, to return. Um, we're only ten months out out of opening up here in China since COVID. And it was a very very severe lockdown that we that we went through, and I, I think there are signs. We had a what they call the golden week just um, just finished during uh, the beginning of October, um, and there was a lot of a lot of domestic travel that took place. People are now getting out and about, um, so I think the signs are there. But we won't see consumer demand return or consumer confidence return. I don't think until. The end of the year you know it, it's a, it's been a slow slow bounce back not a maybe not a bounce but a, a slow return um, but we're a long way from recession you know um, the forecast is to get a five percent growth this year and five percent is a heck of a lot when you look at the size of the if you add five percent to the world's second largest economy that's still a big number that that's going to be adding something like a, a South Korea to the global economy uh next year if we hit five percent so it's it's not nothing it's actually quite significant so i think the chinese economy will continue to grow at a slower rate to to to, to do it at 10 percent now 10 percent you know 10 15 years ago was a was a very significant amount but 5% Five percent of what the economy is today is, is probably even still bigger than that in terms of dollars, and um, and the economy will continue to um, to evolve. It's it's been it's been a remarkable story so far, and I can't see it not continuing to be. Um, the government has already started. It it isn't it isn't doing one you know big dump of dollars or or. Remain be into the economy now. It, it's. I think I heard an economist the other day saying that there've been about 100 different measures that have been introduced since uh, since the reopening from COVID that have been strategically placed into the economy, and we're watching to see these aren't big bang uh, uh, switches that have been been pulled. There are, uh, you know, they're, they're quite strategic, and we'll see. The effect of those as as the economy starts to gather some momentum. I, i'm a i'm an optimist and i continue to see that there is there's a lot still to be uh, uh optimistic about in in the in the economy at the moment
0: um you're going to be as I mentioned you're going to be uh, speaking at the resourcing uh tomorrow uh conference uh in london which is at the end of uh, november um what's the message uh, that you want to bring to the conference and what, what are your what content are you going to be uh covering and speaking about?
1: Yeah uh, well um a lot of what we've been talking about today I suspect Rob um the I, I'm really I'm really impressed with the organizers in as much as um I gave feedback at an earlier conference that I went to and um and I, I was concerned that, that China was sort of a um, it seemed like an afterthought in the in the agenda. It was a small in a small room off off the main hall in a in a, a late in the day session, uh, more suited to a, a coffee uh, meeting place than a um, um, uh, than for the for serious discussion and. Um, And then when I listened to different speakers and delegates, they would often talk about China as an afterthought. And I, being such a passionate China advocate, I wanted to see recognition that Chinese demand has made the mining industry what it is today. Without Chinese mining, Chinese demand for resources, we may not be having the great successes that we've had over the last couple of decades. So my gratitude goes to uh, the organizers of resourcing tomorrow to get, to recognize that and to put it into a prominent part of the put the China discussion into a prominent part of the of the program we have uh, a number of on our panel we have a number of outstanding um, uh, uh, panelists who are, uh, we've got a couple of uh, Chinese uh, senior executives um Chairman of, uh, of a significant company uh, uh, and uh, the CEO of a of a state-owned uh, uh, company. We have um, myself, <laughs> and we have uh, uh, an economist uh, who is very knowledgeable when it comes to the Chinese economy. And um, so, it, I, I, I want the discussion to, to do a number of things. One, to show the delegates that the executives that work in these these Chinese companies are really international, and they really get the, the global mining um, scene. And they've they've got a contribution to make, and they are to be treated as as value adds. You know, you can engage with them, and you'll do good business by working with these these people. Uh, that's one. Two. I want I want to get recognition for the um, for the the place that China plays in the in the global mining seen you know china will be continue to be a customer and chinese demand will continue to be important for the industry but china cannot is also a, an investor it's also um, a miner itself an international miner and and it and it it's also something which is bringing innovation to the industry i mentioned that coal mine which is almost autonomous um and you're know, bringing that level of of sophistication using uh, AI to our industry, um, I think there's we're going to see a lot of you know great greatness to come for our continued productivity coming to our industry by having collaboration. So that, there's some of the messages I would like to get uh, in the, the dialogue that we have at uh, Resourcing Tomorrow.
0: And lastly, just wondered if there was anything else that you would like to uh, like to add uh as uh some of your closing thoughts obviously our industry uh, sorry our um audience is generally from i suppose from the mining industry um in various levels and various disciplines um also obviously suppliers to the industry and obviously also investors as well so just wonder if you had any uh closing thoughts
1: yeah well, one closing thought is I, I just looked at my face on the uh, on this video. It's getting late in the evening here, and uh, the light that I've got shining on my scone is bright, <laughs> but my face is is dark. So I apologise if anyone is watching us on uh, on your YouTube uh, channel. Rob, but, or maybe I don't, shouldn't apologise. Maybe they should be thankful that they can't see me. I've got a very good face for podcasting. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, so thanks for giving me the. First of all, thanks for giving me the opportunity to have a chat with you, Rob. I think um, uh, you and I work in a similar industry, and um, the mining industry is a is a mighty community to work in. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, um, you meet mining people, and you instantly have a uh, a lot to talk about. And um, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm really grateful for two things in my life. One. Lots of things in my life I'm grateful for, but two of the things I'm grateful for is coming to China and doing it with the mining industry. You know, my friends at the Melbourne Mining Club, uh, when we come to London, um, it's just one of the best evenings in in the world you can have you get a, a room full of miners that converge on London and you put them in the one room together you don't need to do any you wouldn't need to have a guest speaker you just put people in a room and you can't shut them up they'll like I am today just <laughs> just keep on on talking so it's uh the mining industry is a great place to be it's a great place to work you and I help to find talent to work in in the mining industry and it's 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 always a privilege, you know. You, you, you and you, one thing I think I would really, if I could, just leave this thought for the for the mining industry. I think, with, I, I think in in this world of you know climate um, change and the the concerns about it, and the mining industry is often seen as the the culprit, you know, the where the where the problem. But I don't. I actually think that mining is the solution. I, I. I took home to uh, my granddaughter um, after a, a mining conference in in uh, in Australia, the iMark conference. I took home a um, a pencil that uh, Rio Tinto was giving away, and uh, and a notepad. This is quite a, a interesting pencil. It's more than just a, a pencil like that, it was a you know a pretty clunky sort of a thing. And I gave it to my um, uh, how old was she my. 11-year-old granddaughter, and she said, um, my name is Yeah, Yeah is Chinese for grandfather. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, but I don't want it. I said, oh, why not, Daisy? And she said, because I don't like miners. And um, if a 10- or 11-year-old doesn't like miners because of the climate, I think we've got a problem. We need to be able to show that the mining industry is, is, the, is a big part of the solution. Daisy and I talked about, you know her telephone and all the all the mining activity in there. If you, if there's nothing, Robert Friedland often says, I've heard him say that you either dig it out of the ground or you grow it out of the ground. It, it there's only one place it can come from, and we've got to do better at explaining to the world, especially to the young people, that that mining is a great industry and it, it provides us with the um, the standard of living that we enjoy, but we it's it's the solution to the climate problem, not it's not the problem itself, and um, you know that that'll be a message. I'll try and maybe I'll, I'll try and get that into our discussion when we when we meet in London.
0: Yeah, certainly, Peter. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your um, your story, your thoughts, and your knowledge around obviously China and uh, the Chinese mining industry. And as I probably mentioned in the introduction, there's there's we i suppose people in the western world or people outside of china here hear certain things and may, maybe we heal different things and maybe it might be a certain narrative so um appreciate you giving us uh information um and knowledge on the ground obviously being working and living in china so uh really uh appreciate your time if any of our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, they may be looking to do business in China. Uh, they may be, might have a Chinese partner. Um, how can my audience reach out to you? How can they follow follow your message or even get in contact with you? Um, and are you across sort of any social media platform channels? Uh,
1: the only social media that I'm. Uh... Involved with Rob is uh, is LinkedIn. People can find me there. Peter Arkell is my name. A R K E W L, and uh, they'll find me there. And they can send me a message on that. People can also find me at my um, at my company, which is Carrington Day All One word.com um, and they'll see me at uh, at at um, at Resourcing tomorrow, and. Uh, and a, a, at, a, at a mining conference near you, <laughs> if, if they want to catch up. I, I, I'm always up for a, a chat. And if anyone wants to have an argument with me about the place of China and the world, I'm up for an argument as well. I love that. If we, if we, it, talking about uh, this stuff is what I, I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, no, great. And uh, we include those uh, in the show notes accompanying this, whether you listen to the podcast or whether you're looking at uh, watching this on the YouTube channel, all those uh, details will be below. So you can get in contact with Peter if you have any questions. And as he mentioned, he's going to be at Resourcing tomorrow, which is at the end of November. So including in the show notes is a link to to get a ticket and also get a discount on that ticket if you put Dig Deep 10 uh, to get some uh, a reduction on the, the ticket price. So I encourage you to go now and grab grab yourself a ticket. It's going to be a great event. Many uh, many companies there, many like-minded people from our mining industry um, where you're obviously going to network well, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're looking for a joint venture business um, or anything in between. Obviously, it's a, an event that you should be attending. So again, Peter, really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on to, to the po- podcast. Um, and those that are listening, really appreciate your continued support. Thank you, uh, thank you for sharing these episodes and continue to share these episodes uh, among people within our industry, but also people outside of our industry as well. Um, as Peter alluded to, we need to educate the 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 people outside of our industry and people around the world as to what mining is all about. Um, and it's essential for, for mankind and for, for us to develop um, across the world. And anything that we use, um, touch, all comes from the mind So please keep sharing these episodes. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry.